Welcome to episode 18 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And I would say it was a fairly eventful week for both of us, being of Italian heritage. Um, man, I just, I'm, I'm upset that this tournament has come to an end, but I'm pretty happy with the way that it came to an end. What a win. Uh, it's awesome to be a part of. Uh, yeah, it's cool rooting for somebody. I know, as people know, we're from we're from Canada. So, you know, it's not like we're in the in Rome in the streets, but uh, it, it was a cool thing to root for, uh, you know, a heritage team. And it was awesome the way it was done, like back to back PKs and uh, a couple saves there. A nice a nice win and a, and a big party afterwards. How about you, Rob? Yeah. Oh, man, it was um I mean, I mean, this is a sports betting podcast, so I don't really want to go too down the rabbit hole on on just like the sports experience. But with what we've dealt with with COVID over the last year and a half, um, I haven't watched very many sporting events with my friends. Uh, it's been kind of like a really rough year to be a, a sports fan, and we're kind of recovering now. And uh, to be able to watch that with my closest group of friends, it. It's like very cliche and cheesy, but it it's like one of those memories you'll never forget for the rest of your life. Like I, I will never, it, it's just like ingrained in my memory. And it, in 2006 World Cup is no different for me. I was much younger at the time. I was only 20 years old, but I remember exactly where I was where it when Italy beat Germany in the semifinals. I remember exactly where I was when Italy beat France in the PKs. I remember that entire day. And it's just like, it was just great to get back to that. And experience something like that. I mean, the closest thing we had was uh, me and you in Florida, Johnny, sweating Leafs games together, and they end up going out in the first round. So I was like, kind of just, um, you know, I didn't get the full experience. But it, it was, yeah, it was great just to to be able to do that again. Like it, I miss that so much. I agree. Uh, watching with your friends is the beauty of of the whole like of sports, really, and of betting. Like if you bet by yourself. In, in your basement or you bet by yourself, you know, watching games in the living room. It's not, it's never going to be as fun than when you got like five, six guys, you're all fired up or you go to the game or something like that. And, and all that stuff, like Rob mentioned over the past year and a half has been not so great. But it, again, this was one of those things for sure. I'll definitely remember where I was. Same thing with Italy 06. Same thing when Leafs got bounced by Boston in a, in a four, in a, in a game seven comeback. Lost. Um, and, and like, you know, there's going to be things throughout a, a regular sports fan, like for us having the Raptors win it, uh, was awesome and being a part of that. But really, yeah, like it, it's, this one's even sweeter because of the fact that, you know, all the boys are there, you're able to watch it. You're able to go out, celebrate after in the streets. And uh, it's just a, an all time, uh, great win and a good tournament. The Raptors parade. I'll, I'll also never forget in my life because uh, I'm actually not a claustrophobic person, but I was per like I've never experienced crowds of that level in the city of Toronto where um quite literally to move like 50 yards in a crowd would take you 10 minutes they're like literally packed in like sardines so that was crazy uh the, the game itself I remember the 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 final game against Golden State which was, I believe game 6 the ending was kind of a dud because there was like a foul call or like a whistle. Yeah, they won it, but Kawhi seconds got fouled, left. but the game was over anyways. And right, so it was him. like, I hated that. Like, I really just wish it ended so you could celebrate because you do the celebration with like 0.8 seconds left or whatever, and then you get the celebration when it's actually a final, but it's like two half-assed celebrations. Hard to explain, but um, either way, I mean... Sports is great. Um, Wasn't a half-ass brings... celebration with this one. For everyone listening, I guess if you didn't watch the Euro final, uh, it was obviously ended on a penalty kick save, which is like probably the sweetest way you can end a, a World Cup or a Euro Cup. For, sorry, for sure. And uh, I, I think um, Donnarumma made the save, but he didn't celebrate either. So I think a lot of people didn't even process that the that it was over um, for about five seconds or so. Anyways, it was amazing, but. Um, it was great to see Italy win, obviously, with my biased rooting interest. And it was great for our DGEN fund, uh, Johnny, which we started a couple months ago. Uh, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but like there are some, you know, we we bet for a living, but sometimes we just want action on certain things. And um, we were definitely had Italy at, at different spots throughout the tournament. First goal scorers, anytime goal scorers. And uh, it was a good tournament, like a really good run for us. Um 
happy that that we were able to yeah we'll to give really we'll give an that. update on the dgen fund but to, for anyone who who uh, i guess is new to the podcast or wasn't listening uh, prior when we announced what we were kind of doing the point of it is this it's it's we want to kind of prove out an experiment here where we can bet solely for fun so these bets are only going to be like it's part of one fund um you know where we have a few people kind of we'll call it invested but not really you know it's just like a bunch of guys everyone's taking a share and essentially the way it's working is when you want to bet, suggest it in the group chat. We'll discuss it. We'll veto. We'll approve. We'll switch it up, and we'll and we'll bet it. And it's for games where you know you're not gonna have bets in there every single day. It's gonna be for you know. Okay, we want to bet on the final. We want to bet on this tennis match. We need to bet for this week's golf tournament, and just things that you're gonna want to watch that you want to have action on the way a recreational better would. And what we're trying to prove out here is through the power of line shopping, going book to book, and just doing you know little edges. So there's no models that go into this. We're trying to see like, you know, just by comparing odds, just by going with like, you know, mini edges, micro edges that we might be able to find here and there, maximizing fun. Can we win money in the long run? So sure. Great timing that uh, a, a group of Italians launched this uh, a, a <laughs> month a month before the Euro Cup that Italy won. So that's obviously a huge boost to the fun. But we're, we're strong right now. Um, and uh, and yeah, hope, we hope to keep it going. It's it's a multi-sport multifaceted entertainment fund and uh we're gonna try to get it and then maybe you know get it to a point where we can do something fun with the money i'd love if we could possibly get it up in bet stamp as well for people to follow in like the media pick section or something we're definitely riding the hot side like that we've had we're some on absolute fire let's be honest we're, we've had positive variants let me put it that way like um this started what a couple months ago and and i won't give out the average bet size or what the fund is at but we're roughly 20 times what our average bet size is. So if if anyone was calculating with units, it would be like plus 20 units or so. And that was after we got absolutely demolished on the home run derby this this week as well. But it's been a, yeah, it's been a good, good time. Like get the best of the number. Um, there's like a lot of logical plays that come into play for us. Like we love to bet um, you know, anytime goal scorers that potentially are coming into the lineups of soccer games or hockey games that um, or, or bumped up in the lineup that um, the price is not accounting for that change. And it's like just logical stuff. And uh, it's kind of new to me because I, I typically am only dabbling in the larger markets and I'm, I'm less focused on these um, prop markets and, and other prices like that. But it's been uh, it's been pretty fun to go through like every single soccer game every day and be like, this guy is just badly mispriced and people are just like all right let's bet it let's go and like put the game up and and cheer for it it's great yeah a lot of fun so that's been going strong maybe we can do something with that on BetSamp in the media pick section we can have uh anyone who's i guess interested in following i always wondered if it would be entertaining to kind of like almost what the bar stool people are doing with their um you know bet with dave portnoy or bet with this guy um if if those are actually fun sometimes they do do the live streams there where you're able to follow along I mean, it seems like it's good in concept, but um, you know, who knows who would actually watch it? Who would want to follow along? I think that type of content is way better when the people are losing. Um, like, and I'm not. That's not to say we're not going to lose because we could definitely lose all this money back. Like, it's completely possible. But that type of content, I don't know what it is about the human race that they just love to see other people in sorrow. But like, I watched. Um, uh, Megan making money is with Barstool now, um, and I guess she gave out a, a home run prop yesterday. Joey Gallo, Joey Gallo, and I, I listen. I don't wish ill will on Megan making money, I, or or anyone at Barstool. Really, like honestly, I'm just completely indifferent on the brand in general. And I know I have a a friend in Joey Kanish who's been on this pod before that absolutely hates Barstool for for reasons that that he outlined, but. Um, that video was hilarious. It was like a one minute video of them cheering for Joey Gallo and then realizing they weren't going to win. And, and it was just like, everyone was quiet for 30 seconds and so defeated. And I don't know why I found it so funny, but I found it like hysterical. It, and my wife is looking at me. She's like, why are you laughing? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't, he literally I can't came describe. dead last. Joey Gallo had no hope of winning. <laughs> He's like, it was deflating. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I feel like if, if the picks are winners or at least slightly plus EV, you could, uh, you could get people kind of backing it and then having more fun but at the end of the day like yeah like I, I don't think it's wise to be just like tailing all those back bar stool or back goals people because you're going to lose money right on those um on the long run like again 
Actually, I don't know exactly how those have been doing. I can tally it up. But in the long run, I project that uh, it's not going to be plus EV, but you might get your entertainment out of it. I, th- I think that odds boost specifically yesterday for the Derby was plus EV. But yeah, for the most part, you're not going to get uh, a whole lot of them. But anyways, it's been interesting for the, the D-Gen fund. Uh, one thing that got me thinking this week, seeing so many penalty kicks... I was wondering if there's like a, any sort of advantage in uh, like bringing up live lines and in watching penalty kicks during the the soccer matches and um, looking to live bet teams after there's a save and so on and so forth. And I I spent way too much time going down the rabbit hole on this. Um, but like, did did you get involved in any sort of live betting, just watching games as they were going on and saying like, you know what, I'm gonna try to like this looks mispriced to me. I'm gonna get involved here, type of thing. So I didn't live bet. I mean, between shots, I feel like is way too difficult in terms of like, you never know if you're behind. And I'm watching on like a a direct, you know, cable provider, national cable provider. So I'm not behind on a stream or anything like that. But even with then, um, if you pull up like a bet 365 account or a live, a live bet leader, like a 365, Chris, even a pinnacle, you're going to see that like oftentimes it'll ruin the game for you. So even if you're watching on national television, you're going to see like a line come off the board and then like five seconds later, uh, you're, the hockey team will score. And you're like, oh, that's what that was. Like, line, Or maybe a penalty gets called. So for things like basketball, it's consistently like five seconds ahead. The live feed would, would be from your, like, your TV. So to live bet in between penalty kicks, I think it's just not feasible right now where the tech's at. But um, for pre-shootout, I've wondered the same thing. I mean, we, I know we were talking like most of the time from what I could see, uh, the lines were priced roughly even. So they're obviously taking a VIG, but for Italy, Spain, for example, you could have popped a, like a minus 08, minus 08 either side. Um, and then same thing with Italy, England in the in the Euro Cup final before the shootout, like who's going to win? They're making it 50-50. They're taking their couple percent VIG. So uh, I do think there's potentially an edge, but I'm wondering what, what, what you think about it actually, because um, there has to be like, at the end of the day, you you don't know who's going to shoot. And I know there's kind of some variance, but you could essentially model out what team has a better chance in, in PKs. Uh, the goaltending is certainly not equal. And we can even relate this to hockey after. But what do you think, Rob? Because I, I think there is something there. I think there are some events that are just so hard to model that it's not even worth it. And you can probably take a subjective approach to them more than anything else. Like, I don't really know with soccer, but... Um, you know, and I didn't go too back too deep, and I don't know which sample to use, but it seems to me that the team who shoots first in soccer wins the shootout like 60% of the time. And I was going through the big European leagues, I was going through national competitions, and you see stuff priced at like pick them basically, but I think it's an inherent advantage to go first um, because probably because it's a less pressure filled situation. I don't know what it is specifically, but there's a large enough sample of what I was looking at to say, okay first as an edge here i mean do i really want to bet that and be betting a lot of money on it no it's it's just there are some situations in sport where um and and we can get into this when we talk about the home run derby as well where i i I don't want to say it's unmodelable because you could probably put something together but i think somebody might just take some sort of subjective approach to this or like the the, you won't even believe that it's me saying this but sometimes you watch like a soccer player going up to take a penalty and they look like they don't want to take the penalty. Like you, you're, you're just like, this guy is going to miss. And obviously the guy can score or not, but I think there's like something to that where it's just, I'm, I'm following with my eyes. I'm seeing something here. I'm, and I don't know if that's quantifiable or not, but it's always because of stuff like that. I've never really either even bothered to, to go down the rabbit hole on these soccer penalties. I don't know who's going to shoot. I don't know what, there's so many factors to take into account that I honestly have no idea, but I think specifically for this Euro, what I'd like to go back and look at is probably just the size of the goalie. Like, I think that has to have some sort of factor because the shots are from closer range. You can get across a lot quicker. Look at the Italian keeper, Donnarumma guy is like Andre, the giant, basically like, you know, if he gets down and across, across, he's covering the entire net where there's some shorter keepers that just don't have that advantage in penalties. Yeah, I think, okay, so just going back, taking a step back, um, if they're priced minus 110 aside, what what the books are basically saying is, yeah, 50-50, take your pick and we're going to just take our hold. Now, granted, you're not going to be able to get much down on those. Very illiquid market. So uh, another 
sign in the right direction for uh, us to be basically saying, yeah, there is a way to beat that and you could be able to do it. So for me, do I think that I could overcome a 4% hold in a shootout? Yeah, because there's no way those teams are 50-50. Just goalkeeping alone, um, one goalie is going to be better than the other by a significant amount that would equate to over a 4% win percentage. So I do think there's an edge there like, Rob mentioning with, with Gigio Donnarumma there, like a bigger goalie. Um, he's, in theory, a better goalie as well. So having the better goalkeeper like is a huge advantage in the shootout because they're stopping every shot. Um, and then even just shooters. like you can Obviously, the pressure is going to get to you like it's a big moment. But outside of factoring and all that, like I, I played hockey growing up, and, and I'll relate this to hockey now. It's like, like there's good players who are not good penalty shooters. Like it, yep. it, that's just yep. the reality of it. Like some, some are both, you know, like, Sidney Crosby's a great player and he also is is okay in the shootout. But then you have a guy like TJ Oshie, for example, who's uh, an above average player in the NHL, and he's been he's a, you know gonna play in the NHL for a long time, but he's also an unbelievable shootout player. He's an unbelievable breakaway scorer. So if you have guys like that um for a team, like let's say you're betting and you know TJ Oshie's gonna shoot, you know there might be another good shootout player in there. That team has a goalie that can win. I'm, I'm talking hockey now because uh, it's a sport I'm a little more familiar with. Like, I do think you can overcome uh, even like a minus 15, minus 15 aside in certain game scenarios. And all you really have to do is have that model ready to go pregame and say, these are the goalies that start that are starting. Here's who I project the shooters to be. Um, and then run that right before, like make sure no one got injured in game, run that, you'd probably have an edge live betting right before uh, a shootout in the NHL or in uh, in soccer. Yeah, I mean, it's, there again, for me, it's just way too many variables. Like I've gone down the shootout rabbit hole on hockey many times before because I, anyone who follows me on Twitter, I'm, I'm not complaining for the sake of complaining about my record in overtime and shootout in the NHL. It's been pretty bad for three years now. Um so I, I've just been digging into it in terms of like, is there something that I'm missing? Do I need to account for uh, more things when, you know, after regulation? And really, I just can't find anything that is enough to to overcome the VIG, really. You, you're dealing with very, very small sample sizes just in general. So when in a lot of cases, we're like, oh, this guy's amazing in the shootout. Well, he's like six for 12 career, right? I, I don't know that that means anything like Robin Leonard, for example, who's in my opinion, an above average goalie. I know he's the backup goalie for the Vegas Knights, but an above average goalie, this guy couldn't stop a beach ball in the shootout for some reason, but it's like 30 career attempts. I don't know if that is random is, is nothing. So it's like you just get into these issues with sample size where you really don't know what to do and you're paying a VIG and that's where the problem comes for me. Um, and then, like like you said, there's just like there's defensemen that shoot within the first three shooters in the NHL, and it's like I, I don't know, like is is he shooting because he's he's amazing in practice whenever they're shooting, or is the coach just putting him out there because he's had a good game? I, I, there's so many factors that come into play that it's like you know what you could probably spend a lifetime on it and figure it out, but it becomes a, a like an opportunity cost type of thing, right? Like kind of what's the point let's just spend the time somewhere else definitely not worth the squeeze for the amount that you're going to be able to get down but for any rookie betters like a lot of people ask all the time um sending questions to the show dm me personally saying like what's a good market to attack i mean if you're listening here i'd say try it out um look at shootout historicals obviously take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because it is a low sample size but what you could also do is look at shootout success in other leagues as well right so minor leagues um like international play, anything like that, world juniors, if they've got, if they've played shootouts or anything before, because at the end of the day, like, again, just coming from a, a background where I played competitive hockey at high level, like throughout my, my childhood, I, I do know, like just seeing there are people who are good in a shootout and they're not going to be, and they're much better. Like this guy's way better in shootout than this, than this guy. So having like, just knowing that there is an edge, you just have to find out who, but uh, yeah, as Rob mentioned, even having, an unknown roster construction. So you, you being like, okay, they're going to shoot. They have these three players and they should be favored. And then like none of those players even shoot. And you're like, what is this right. coach doing? He's putting out two of his worst shooters. That would be frustrating as well. But at the end of the day, like modeling uncertainty is what you have to do as a sports better. So the more uncertain, 
the least efficient the market's going to be, the less efficient it's going to be, and the easier it's going to be to win. So I'd, I'd attack this as a market. Um, you know, you're only going to be able to bet a couple hundred on it. If you shop around, you might be able to get a couple books in, but it could be, you know, a way to build your bankroll and probably be a lot of fun to watch as well. Yeah, I think just in general, um, markets that others are not paying attention to are probably your best time investment when you're beginning in sports betting. Like if I'm just starting sports betting now, I'm not going to be betting NFL sides and totals. Um, I mean, some people might want to because they're huge NFL fans and uh, that's of interest to them, but probably dig deeper into stuff that other people aren't taking a look at. And I think that's just generally good advice for those who are aspiring to get into the sports space. I don't know if that's necessarily uh, NHL shootouts or soccer penalties or whatever, but those are like the types of markets that Certainly, you can find an edge in. I have a good friend of mine that um, um, kind of built his bankroll off of NBA first to score. Literally, first to score. The team that's going to score first. The, I'll, I don't mind stating this edge now because it doesn't exist anymore. But for a long time, the first to score market in the NBA was being priced as a derivative of the game spread. So if Golden State was a 20-point favorite against let's say the Detroit Pistons, they would be priced at like minus 170 to score first, which makes zero logical sense when you consider at that time, Andre Drummond was the center for the Pistons and he won like 90% of the tip-offs that he'd take. So you know Detroit's going to get the first possession. They're an underdog. And this is how that market was priced for a year. And I know a lot of people who did fairly well off that and I did fairly well off that until... That edge disappeared and then you kind of move on to something else. But that's just like a, a real life example of a market that nobody was really paying attention to. It was offered at Bookmaker for like 500 a pop, Bet Online, Heritage, all the major offshores could get down a decent amount for uh, someone who's a novice sports better um, on a pretty big edge. Yep, absolutely. That's a great example of kind of like the things, the type of things to look for. Um, okay, so we want to move on. The MLB Home Run Derby, All-Star Game, All-Star Weekend Extravaganza. You have these kind of things in every sport. Um, obviously, the NHL, you've got the skills comp uh, in the NBA. It's kind of like the dunk competition as well as the um, three-point shootout and the other two events. But this is one where this is the star of the show for the M MLB. They don't have really any other events. And it's pretty fun to watch and it's pretty widely available to bet on in this in this case. So... What uh, we wanted to talk was like kind of like a quick recap and then share some edges uh, that are to be had in in this kind of like format or in any kind of format that's uh, new and there's new rules coming in and all different things. And I, we can share a couple of cool stories over the years. Uh, how, how was it for you, Rob? Yeah, I mean, listen, I was I was I only caught the end of it. I was took my godson up to, to Blue Mountain to ride some roller coasters and go in the pool and stuff like that yesterday. So I was driving back and uh, I only caught the end of the derby just in general. I was kind of like following your updates on, on my phone as I was driving back. Just in <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people will say that, um, you know, thanks for sharing this stuff after the fact. I'm, I'm never really going to share edges beforehand. I think a lot of people can, you know, come to some logical conclusions. But the rules of the home run derby in general, every year, there's always something that changes or is tweaked. And there's always some massive inefficiencies in the market. And I'm not saying you have to be able to model. You don't have to model anything. You need, literally need to be able to read the rules and say, this is not priced correctly based off of what these rules dictate. And it happens every year. Uh, I won't say who messaged me yesterday during the afternoon, but they messaged me and said, basically, what am I missing here? Uh, we have spreads on on hitters against each other. So you might have Otani, what was he? Who did he face in the first round? Juan Soto. Juan Soto. And Otani's like a three and a half or four and a half home run favorite or whatever, but he's batting second. And as soon as that he takes the lead, the matchup's done. Yeah, we'll, we'll go through the rules. I'll go through. So in previous years, uh, prior to two years ago, the way it was was you would hit like in the first round as many homers as you could and there'd be like a certain time limit or a certain number of outs. And uh, you'd, you'd hit however many homers you could and then they'd kind of rank you like, okay, these four were the top four and the bottom four are out. 
But when they switched to the matchup format and now announced this year that as soon as like if you're in a matchup format, you're going to want to like basically stop hitting after you, you've won. So for anyone going first, you're, you're obviously using the full time and trying to hit as much as you can. But for anyone going second, if the person who hits first hit 20 homers, then in theory, the max you're going to hit is 21 because then you should stop after that. It may, may be 22 because you didn't know if one trickled over the wall and you hit the other one and then that counts too. But you're not going to hit 35 because you're not going to keep going. So it, in there is where kind of the edge uh, the edge happens and I'll, I'll let Rob take it back. I didn't mean to, to uh, jump it. I just wanted no, no. to explain it in a way that people would probably understand it based on the, the formatting. Right, but that's that. it's simply applying logic to what the prices are... are are available, right? I mean, and there's other ways you can approach it. Like potentially you might want to just take the under on all the second hitters that would have cost you yesterday uh, for obvious reasons, because everything was kind of flying over the totals just in general. But logically you can say, well, you know, there's no incentive for the second hitter to keep going after they win. So I'm just going to bang all the unders on them. And to me, those are positive expected value bets, even though they ended up losing just in general. So it's like little things like that, where I saw so much home run derby content tons picks who's gonna win here's who i like in this matchup not one person well i don't want to say not one person because it's just what i viewed in general and and what i read in general but no one really focused on what the rules are of the derby and this is how i can exploit these lines based off of the rules and to me that's just the starting point like how is that not the starting point for anyone who's betting on the home run derby. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had, just for the listeners, and um, I'll, I'll spell it out for you. If you have line matchups, so I'll go with Otani versus Juan Soto, for example. So if you had Juan Soto, uh, let's say his total was around eight, 18 and a half home runs, okay? So if you bet Juan Soto over 18 and a half and Otani under 23 and a half, um, you can't possibly lose both. You can only lose one of them in theory because... If Soto goes, if Soto hits 17 home runs, so he goes under, um, it, Otani either goes under 17 home runs and you win that bet, or he hits 18 home runs and then stops betting and then stops batting and you win the under on Otani. Whereas if Soto goes over and he hits 25 home runs, uh, and then Otani hits 26, you lose, but Otani could also still hit under his 23. And there's also a chance for you to middle both in that scenario or in a scenario where Soto hits 19 and Otani beats him with 20. So had you done this uh, for all four matchups yesterday, you would have went, you know, on three of the matchups, everybody flew over their total. So you would have went one and one, cashing the over and losing on the under. And in the Joey Gallo matchup, uh, you would have hit the over on Trevor Story and you would have had the under on Joey Gallo. Would have been a, a profit there. So in that scenario, you're basically free rolling, paying a little bit of VIG. Um, but all you have to do is cash one and you can't lose both. So things like this, where you can hit that edge across all different sports books, you know, they have these totals available, uh, pretty widely available. Things like this is where you should start. Like Rob mentioned, if you're, if you, people put out articles, I'm not going to mention the platforms or like the sports books that are backing these articles, but you know, like you got to bet this guy, you got to bet uh, Joey Gallo because look at his power and he has this and he has this. And like, it's like, where's the correlation? And is there, have they actually researched it and shown a correlation between the biggest power hitter and the person who wins the Derby? Absolutely not. So reading the rules of the tourney is so easy to find edges because they're changing them every single year. So people usually model them based on the last year. Like, oh, what was last year's totals? Oh, last year was six was 16 homers. This year's at Coors Field. All right, we'll book them 18 and a half. That's basically what they're doing. They're not factoring in different rule sets. I think the beauty of something like this in general is that you don't even have to be a fan of the sport in order to be able to capitalize. And that's what I love about it. I could know nothing about baseball in general I don't want to say nothing. I probably need to have some just general idea of how baseball works and be able to find inefficiencies in the market just by looking at the rules. Well, you don't have like to know who the players are or what they exactly. look like or how they swing or anything like that. Yeah, you can you can go full spanky and you know not even know who the person is, which is I always find hilarious. Like when Andrew Luck retired and Spanky's like, I have no idea who this guy is. But I, but seriously, like it's one of those edges where. I I I could I could have not watched baseball for a decade and read the rules of the competition and been able to find an edge. Absolutely. But I will say, I'll tell a funny story here. 
Um, the rules are the rules, but for these type of events, sometimes they actually just don't follow up. So I, I know where you're going with this one. I, I, had, I, can, I, I think I told ahead. you this. Yeah. So I, I told you this. So two years ago in the home run derby, they announced a new rule. I did the same thing. I went, read the rules. I'm like, oh, I got it. I have a sweet edge here. And the new rule they announced was that there wasn't going to be an amount of outs anymore. So the way they had it was like, okay, after 10 strikes or whatever they wanted to call them, it's done. Um, but in this, in this format, it was going to be the three minute time. So what the rule was is you could only throw the next pitch when call it the umpire, the guy standing there gave you the, okay. And he would only give you the, okay. It was clearly stated in the rules. He would only give you the, okay. When your previous ball either landed as a home run or hit the ground. So if you hit a ground ball, you'd be okay to throw the next one. If you hit a sky high pop-up, then you're going to be, you're not going to be able to throw the next one until that ball hits the ground. So those were the rules. They started off the tournament and the first two batters, they, they followed those rules and that's how they were doing it. But I had modeled this out. So I was, I I went in, I pulled the stats. And again, I know Rob says like, you can do this without a model. You don't need to, but I I had a little bit of extra free time that day. Obviously there's nothing on usually during the MLB home run derby. Um, so I pulled the stat cast data and my, my, uh, edge was going to be, I know certain people when they pop the ball up, pop it up and it's way longer. Like they pop it up so high and so shallow that it takes so much longer to hit the ground. So what I did was I pulled launch angles and I looked at basically like historical pop-ups and how long it took them to hit the ground for the players in the derby. And what I found was Vlad Guerrero Jr. had insane height on his pop-ups to the point where like he's popping him up. I was like, this guy, if he pops up a few, like even his homers, he hits them so high that he's not going to get as many pitches as some of these other guys. So... Uh, I ended up, if you, if you watched yesterday, you saw Pete Alonzo one, I ended up basically whipping together a model based on essentially exit velocity and launch angle that showed these guys are going to hit it higher. And for that reason, they're not going to get as many balls. I ended up having my number one edge as Peter Alonzo and he ended up winning the tournament. Uh, so I, I did okay on that, but the story is my biggest fade was Vlad Guerrero Jr. I took against him in every matchup. I faded him. I had Vlad not to go to the finals, not to go to the second round, not to win the first round matchup. He ended up winning the first two matchups and eventually losing to Alonzo in the finals. But the reason he won is because Vlad's pitching coach didn't listen to the rules. As soon as he hit his ball, it would fly up and he'd throw him another one right now. And the ump was, was throwing like, stop, you can't throw, but it didn't matter. And he just kept throwing them and Vlad just kept spanking them and he was hitting so many homers and he hit like one and a half times the amount of balls as anybody else did uh, prior to him. And they just didn't care about the rules. And then moving forward in the tournament, so after, after Vlad did that, like they just forgot about that rule. They're like, okay, fine. This, we're not going to do it like this. We'll just let everyone throw at their own pace. And for that reason, I kind of got screwed a little on that, on those bets. Cause I thought they were incredible edges. Um, but yeah, things like that were like <laughs> the rule just, it happened. It is what it is. And the funny thing is I, I believe I could be wrong about this, but I believe that they implemented that rule for safety of the kids catching the ball in the outfield because like all these kids run under these pop-ups, right? And everyone's trying to catch them. You don't want like a missile line drive to come at these kids in the outfield when they're all looking up in the air. So it's like a safety rule that just completely got scrapped out the window. Yes, I actually do remember that. I vividly remember where I was that night watching that derby and uh, a similar uh, situation for myself as well. But yeah, I mean, okay. That's that's an example of where if you actually did read the rules, it might have cost it's you. It's not but... foolproof. It's not foolproof. Yeah. I'll tell another funny derby story um, of mine. This is another. I'll give I'll give out. This is kind of like the way I look at the derby. Is all of these guys have power? They have a lot of home runs, and that's why they're in the derby. So they can all put it over the fence. Um, the main advantage that I usually look for is who's throwing them the ball. And if you looked yesterday, you would have saw Pete Alonso's hitting coach. There's a lot of graphics on Twitter. He was putting them on a platter, on an absolute platter, right to Pete Alonso over the middle. Consistency was unbelievable. He did plunk him with one pitch. But outside of that, this guy was putting balls right down the middle, down the pipe. Whereas if you looked at some of the other pitchers and, um, you know, they're putting some low, some high, inconsistent. And the inconsistency is really what kills the guy who's trying to get in a rhythm swinging these so fast. So uh, before I kind of realized this, 
a couple of years ago in the Derby, uh, I, I went through, I was like comparing market numbers, making a little model. I'm like, my guy, Yasiel Puig. I'm like, this guy's going to win the Derby. Messaged all my buddies. I'm like, this is my Derby pick. Yasiel Puig's going to win the Derby. This guy has so much power. Even if he puts him off the end of the bat, they're going to fly. I was looking at the angle of the stadium. Like he's going to hit these all the left. Like I was going, I was so confident in Yasiel Puig. Um, so he gets up there and I'm all hyped up. I'm like, here he goes. And um, like he gets up to like go bat and there's like, there's no pitcher. He doesn't have a pitcher. And they're like, they're explaining like, who's who's pitching for you and he didn't know he didn't know he needed a pitcher and he didn't have anybody to pitch for him so he's uh he's uh cuban cuban born uh doesn't speak i don't know if he speaks english well now but at the time he's speaking spanish and he was just looking around and they ended up just last minute getting um robinson cano's dad who was also just there and they're like can he pitch for him and they're like so robinson cano's dad pitch for Yasiel Puig he had no idea that he was going to pitch that night uh, until like just before Puig didn't know that he had anybody that was pitching to him that he even needed a guy pitching to him Cano's dad went up no warm-up threw Puig absolute dustiest pitches absolute (laughs) trash Puig also didn't had no idea of the rules like how it was going to work or whatever long story short he hit, and I kid you not, you can look this up. I don't know what the exact derby year it was. It was probably four, five years ago, maybe. He hit zero home runs. The only guy in like the last decade to hit zero <laughs> was Yasiel Puig with Robinson Cano's dad pitching for him, uh, talking only Spanish. They had to get a translator, and I think Cano's dad was one of the other guys who spoke Spanish, so that's how they kind of went in and found it. He had zero home runs, and from that day on, I thought – I am every year now I'm going to make it my mission to look up who is throwing them the ball beforehand and making sure that I'm only going to bet guys who have like hitting coaches or catching coaches throwing them the ball. Was that, um, is, is that information made public beforehand? Like, did you know yesterday who was throwing? Yesterday I guys? did. I did know. Uh, they made it public the day of, um, in prior years, it's been a mixed bag. So, uh, one thing I will say is I had, um, uh, Pete Alonzo. So this was, not this year's derby, not yesterday's derby, but the one prior. It was two years ago due to COVID. Pete Alonso had his cousin, or I think it was his cousin or his uncle or something like that, throwing to him. And typically when you have a guy's dad or a guy's cousin or a guy's brother, you're getting a worse uh, consistent pitcher than a hitting coach, obviously. But um, I ended up, remember, looking up Alonso's, I think it was his cousin, and I saw he was actually a pitcher in college. At, and I'm like, okay, this guy's going to be fine then. And he ended up he ended up being fine. But... Um, just looking up who the pitchers are is, uh, in my opinion, way more valuable than saying, oh, Joey Gallo's got moonshot power. So he's going to win. Like, that's not what it's about. They can all hit over the fence. It was in exactly. tours. That, that's the thing. We, we know all these guys can hit home runs, especially yesterday. Like you said, it's Coors Field where like pop-ups are going to go up for home runs in general. We know that all these guys can smash it, but what, when like that heat map of where Alonzo was getting the balls is absurd. Like that's that's like Greg Maddox type accuracy in his prime. Like the consistency of where those balls ended up. Like I feel like you could take like an average MLB power hitter and put him in the home run derby and he has a chance if you're getting that like that consistent location over and over. And that's not to take anything away from Pete Alonzo, even though I kind of am, but it's like, I, I still can't believe it. Like I, I could throw a ball every single day for eight hours a day for the entire year and I will never come close to that precision. Um, and I think like that's that was almost a bigger fact. Like that was absolutely the biggest factor on the night was that who threw Pete Alonso the balls yesterday. Yeah, like, absolutely. And comparing this to other events like the NBA dunk contest, you're also just going to want to figure out like who's taking this event seriously. Like Pete Alonso... Not for anything. I, I know it's kind of sad when you look at the salaries and things like that, but uh, he's still on his rookie deal. So he earned more money from winning the Derby than he did from his annual salary this year in the MLB. So it's like, this guy also wants to win this thing. I know they all do. And it's not like anyone's not trying, but Pete Alonso wanted to win it. He was focused. He was having fun. He's been in it before. So a lot of times, like, again, guy like Yasiel Puig, it was his first Derby. Um, like, he just didn't know how to do it. Whereas if you look at a guy who's been in a derby before, that's why there's a lot of two-time champs. 
Cespedes won it um, either back to back or t- or twice in three years. Now Alonso back to back. Like if he's in it again next year, I'm going to back Pete Alonso, especially if he's got the same hitting coach um, pitching to him. No questions asked. He would have won this thing. Well, like, you'll, you'll honestly, have to see the price. You'll have to see the price first. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I think. I, I think uh, the way it'll be is he wouldn't like he's not going to be an absolute favorite and he probably should be like if you were to resim this event, um, he didn't even use optimal strategy in terms of like he wasn't swinging as fast as other guys like Mancini in the finals. He was swinging pretty at a re- pretty regular pace. His hitting coach was taking his time, but everything was just on the money and he was mashing them. So like he probably would have hit 30 plus homers in every single round. Um, and with that kind of consistency, like if they were to run this thing back right now, like I'd make Alonzo a favorite to win it from, from the start by a pretty fair margin. Yeah. I, I wonder though, like that, that could be optimal strategy at Coors though, to swing slower and just make sure that you make contact and get the ball in the air. Right. Cause like Coors in the summer, I, I haven't modeled baseball in a couple years now. And Coors was always the bane of my existence in general, but like the humidity levels play a huge factor. Um, and you get some like pretty prolonged stretches of extremely high scoring games at certain times of the year and extremely low at, at other times in the year. And like right now it's pretty much like peak, right? Almost close to peak of, um, <laughs> I, I mean, Pete Alonso's pitching coach pitching to me, I'm pretty sure I can mash a homer at course. <laughs> like I, I would bet on myself and I have very little strength, but I could like, I can rip on if if it comes in to be like that. I don't know. I'm not a baseball player, so I, I don't think I don't think I can. Um, but uh, but that's funny. Okay, so we had um, a few Twitter questions come in. Uh, thank you to anyone who responded last night. We we're not going to have time for all the questions, but we'll try to answer a bunch here um, that that came in. And if we didn't answer your question, uh, we'll try to get to it next week. I think. Pr- Probably, you know, every episode that we don't have a guest, we'll try to answer like maybe two, three questions uh, per week. And then maybe we'll do a few mailbag only episodes. So um, first question, I guess this one will be for Rob. Uh, What are the best data sources available to build a model for each sport that you know of? Um, For the major sports, the play-by-plays just in general. Like, like for example, NFL, there's an R package. Um of just all the play-by-plays like you basically when you extract the play-by-plays of any given sport you can do whatever you want with that data you can um, manipulate it however you want you could dig through and test all sorts of things from previous years so uh, this uh, pretty much applies across the board but as much meaningful data as you can collect um, that's going to be valuable now with the nfl like you don't want to go back to 1985 and use play-by-plays from 1985 because the game's completely different. Like I would say you probably want to go post illegal contact, um, the introduction of that rule. Um, but yeah, that, that, I think that's just the easiest way to go. I, I, instead of going sport by sport by sport, uh, extract the play-by-plays from each and um, you can do all sorts of things with that. Any like advanced metrics or anything, any sites like that? Well, listen, each sport's going to have its own individual other things that you can look at, right? Like baseball stat stat cast data, just like you mentioned earlier, is there's been like an emergence of that over the course of years where you can play around with that a whole ton. Um, NHL, right? We've seen a shift towards shot types and locations on the ice and, and deriving expected goals from specific plays and scoring chances. NBA, I'm not a big guy, but I'm sure there's uh, not big, a uh, uh, big NBA guy, I should say, but I'm sure there's something um, that's the the equivalent of that as well. So, you know, for your base, um, you can always look at play by plays. You can always start adding things on top of it. But um, yeah, it's like, I mean, modeling in general, you're only as good as the data that you work with. It's not like I can give you a, a specific answer and say, oh, for all these sports, you need all these things. You're going to you're gonna want to get as much your hands on as many things as you want. It's part of the reason why I barely model golf anymore. I became aware of the fact months ago that I don't have the same data set, um, like the student data set that you had to apply for years ago. Um, I don't have it. So why am I going to compete against other people at massive limits when I know that they're using data that I don't? Yeah, I agree. And I'd, I'd say uh, for anybody who's like just looking for readily available public data, this question that was asked, it's like it's a good question. But at the end of the day, if there is publicly available data, 
um, then now you're competing against someone who has that same data set and has the same angles as you. So you're going to need to be a better, you know, financial or data modeler or data scientist, whatever you want to call it. So at the end of the day, um, really just factor in, like, if I'm starting from, uh, like, if I'm using pro football focus as my base, then I know that's readily available data. Other people have that. There's other models being built with that. So I have to make sure that now I have other things incorporated in. So just taking one data set using that is not very wise. Yeah. At the end of the day, you have to be aware of everything that's available for the sport that you're modeling. Like soccer is an example. I, I always die of laughter at the the people who are posting soccer picks based off of team expected goal models that are publicly available because there's soccer data sets that are sold by big companies like Opta for you know thousands upon thousands a month and, a, and years that bigger soccer groups are using that's going to give them an inherent advantage over everyone else who's not paying for that data. So you just ha- always have to be aware of it. Now, you can kind of get around that by modeling smaller markets like we've talked about in general, player props, things of that nature that maybe the biggest groups in the world are not going to focus on in general. But ultimately, yeah, it's a tough question to answer. Start with play-by-plays for for each um, league. You can extract whatever you want from that, and then you can kind of start adding on top of that. Okay. Um, up next, we have uh, one that I can take here. So I guess it's related to NFL. Is week 17 the most profitable uh, prop bets, milestone week, etc. Um, so I'm going to answer this as if week 17 is last year's week 17. This year will be an extra game added for NFL. But uh, the answer is actually no. So week 17, uh, for me at least, is is the least profitable. And the reason is there's a lot less available. So when you have something where like these games are kind of more unknown, it's good in a small sense of like low limit stuff you're going to be able to pick off. But, um, you know, they're not, you know, I mean, they're, they're not offering like the same depth and array of props that they are for other weeks. So like, like let's say a week 12, regular week, you're going to have every single team, the whole facet, you're going to have quarterback, running backs, receivers, tight end, some defensive props, everything. Whereas if you get into a game where let's say the chiefs are resting their starters, then the chiefs are going to have, honestly, no, they're not going to offer props on chiefs players. So you're really only going to basically the games where you might have an edge because you're going to be able to pick off props or pick off different things. Those are the games in which they're going to offer less. And if it's a straight game, they're going to take less money. The games where, you know, it's Baltimore Buffalo for the bye week or something like that. um, And both teams need to win and they're playing the full starters. That's going to be the same as any regular week. Um, So really I would say week 17 is actually a kind of a, a poor week for betters as opposed to the opposite. But I can see why people think that it's the best week given the uncertainty. Um, but that's kind of just how I found with the NFL. Rob, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not a huge props better in general. I do a lot of daily fantasy though. And I week 17, you're, there's a lot of guesswork involved, especially with the way that the, the schedule shapes up. Like the NFL does a pretty good job of scheduling games so that um, you really cannot capitalize uh, like a result from one o'clock is rarely going to affect the four o'clock games as an example. Um, I don't know. I, I can see all the things that you said in general. I think maybe one of the reasons that the question is coming up because there's been a historical trend of teams that are not playing for anything being very good against the spread in the final week of the season. And I can see that being the case because um, there is a lot of public money in the NFL Um and people want to bet on teams that have something to play for. So from that perspective, yeah, I think you can find some edges that, um, you know, like if I think about the NFL season as a whole, your your biggest edge if you are really good at what you're doing is probably the first four, five, six of the weeks, weeks of the season because everybody's models at that point are different. Um, you don't really have any data from in-season to work with. If you're good at what you're doing, that's probably where your biggest edge is going to come then by week six seven eight everybody's starting to use the same data incorporate it into their models it's it's harder to gain an edge week 17 is one of the rare weeks late in the year where um the models won't hold up all that well because of um changes to you know who's playing for specific teams and meaningless games here and there so i I agree from that standpoint you can probably find some stuff uh, but also 
I think the degree of confidence in in those bets is going to be a lot lower um, since there's a wide range of what teams could be doing in week 17. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, next up, what are some ways you can look for plus EV bets without having a model to quantify any value in a given market? Oh, this is a great one because it's uh, topical. Uh, this week is the Open Championship in the PGA. Um, for many reasons, I've slowed down on my golf betting in general. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I think I've already shared a lot of the reasons on, on this week's episode. But if you literally pull odds from a dozen different sports books, you will find outliers all over the place. Um, I'm talking about mainly the outright market, uh, not so much head-to-head, but it's just one example of, of one market where um, you will see a lot of standout prices where a golfer is priced 40 to 1 at a bunch of different sites, maybe 45 to 1, 50 to 1 at, at a bunch of different sites, and then you'll find like a rogue 80 to 1 somewhere. And that in all likelihood is enough to overcome the VIG, uh, and it's probably a, a plus EV bet. You can never say for certain because the odds might be maybe potentially closer to that number. But just in general, outliers, that's the way to go. Like you you don't need... There, I have all sorts of friends that have zero knowledge of sports. They don't bottle anything, but all they do is line shop and they're able to um, understand where they're getting value. And this doesn't only apply to the golf market, it applies to pretty much everything. But oftentimes you can find uh, outlier prices Um at all sorts of books. So that's the, just by far the easiest way. Yep. I agree completely. Um, simple enough. Like that's just, we've said it before and we say it every week and we'll probably continue to say it every week. So it is what it is. I mean, um, uh, bed stamp is built off of that and it's like, we actually use it. So I use it on a daily basis. I have it open on my computer screen every single day. I have it on my phone when I want to make a bet on the road. And like, I, I mean, I harp on it way too much, but it's, it's so much easier to win at sports betting when you're getting the best price at all times. Um, and like the nice thing about BetStamp in general is you don't have to have every single one of your sports books open. You can just input your sports books into the app itself and it's always going to serve you the best available price. And you can do some very easy line shopping from within the app. So that's the shameless plug for this week. But it's honestly, I wouldn't plug it if I wasn't doing it myself. Fair enough. Same here. Uh, okay, uh, two more. They're kind of a little bit related, but um, we'll end off with these ones. What, and I guess I'll take this one, what singular personality or character trait do you believe is most pivotal to be a successful better? So well, I want to take this one first because I think that I asked the person who asked this question a follow-up question on Twitter, and my question was, what do you define like as a successful better? Because I think it takes very different character traits to get to different levels in betting. Um I would say, and the answer I got back from him was anyone who's like plus EV or wins at betting, he would consider a successful better. So I'll say, I'll break this up and give two answers. I think they're very, very different. So um, I personally believe there's a huge, huge difference between somebody who can win at betting and earn an amount of money per year, 5,000, 10,000, 200, whatever, it depends what you're betting, or somebody who can earn enough money to support themselves on betting and earn a living off this. 200,000, 400,000, 1 million, 2 million, 5 million, whatever it might be um, as they scale up the business. So for somebody who wants to be a professional better, earning, you know, hundreds of thousands, the salary of as like a lot of people mentioned, like the salary of a skilled worker, an educated, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, something like that into the hundreds of thousands. I think the biggest quality you can have is honestly your business sense, like ability to build relationships, ability to run it as an actual business, like be disciplined as a business owner, treat this as you operating a company versus you having a fun side hobby. So in that sense, I'd say that's the the main trait that's going to get you successful, um, to scale it as a full, full full-time operation. But the main trait to get you successful as somebody who just wants to earn, like let's say you're betting $100 a game, you can earn three, four, five thousand 5,000 a year, no problem. Just by taking advantage of like stale numbers, odds boost, bonuses, things like that, opening up multiple accounts, sharing resources, you'll earn five, ten, five, ten thousand a year. You could even earn no questions asked as a side hobby. So I'd say the biggest kind of personality or character trait in that sense is just you need to be hardworking. You need to be willing to do it. So in that sense, I would say forget anyone who's going to answer like, oh, you need to be a coder. You don't need to be a coder. You need to be like 
somebody who is, you know what I mean? Like you, you don't need to be a coder. You don't need to watch the games. You don't even need to be mathematical in any capacity. I mean, I guess a little bit in order to co- kind of compare odds, but that that's my answer to the question. I feel pretty strongly about it. Um, and as I've mentioned multiple times, like it's very easy to earn like five or 10,000 a year sports betting. Like I, I I'll, I'll sell a course on it. If, if there's enough demand, I'll sell, I'll sell you how to do it. No, I'm just kidding. I, we talk about it all the time. But uh, we'll let Rob answer, and, and that's kind of my, my thoughts on it. Yeah, um, very difficult question um, because of, yes, one being the, the definition of what a successful better is, but also because there are so many different types of successful betters. Um, you know, we've talked about the top-down approach before and originating and so on and so forth, and I think it takes different qualities to do different things. Uh, but I completely agree. I wrote down three things um, and I kind of been going back and forth. And one of them was hardworking and it's very cliche just in general. Uh, but I, I just, I cannot think of a successful sports better that I know who hasn't put an extreme amount of effort into getting to that point. Um, ambitious is one as well. I think to get to that point as well, you need to have the drive, I mean, it kind of is um, overlaps with hardworking, cliche a little bit, I know. Uh, and then the last one for me, I wrote down is self-disciplined. Um, and part of the reason I wrote that one down is because I have seen so many people who actually have an edge in sports betting and can actually beat sports, not be able to actually beat sports because of a variety of factors to do with discipline, chasing losses. Uh, getting in the wrong headspace when when you're losing and pressing a little bit more, um, not you know capitalizing on the opportunities that you have in front of you. Like I, I, Johnny, I know that you know guys in the same situation as well. But you can have an edge and still not be able to profit if you're not doing things correctly and you're not disciplined enough. So I mean, kind of cop out answers. Probably it's a really tough one for me, and I I just don't. Like it's hard for me to lump all sports betters into one bucket and say, oh, you need to have this characteristic because I think there's just there's so many ways, different ways to go about things that involve different personality traits. Yeah, and as you mentioned, like gambling's addictive to a lot of people. Um, it's not addictive like a, a hardcore drug where your body's going to need it after, but it's a, it's addicting mentally. So, um, like you mentioned, like. Of discipline is huge. Like you, you need to, and people say like, oh, well, what's the percentage of my bankroll I should be betting? Like it's dependent on person. Like first and foremost, main thing about sports betting is like, don't, I'll call it like, don't go bust, but also just like, don't let it affect your life in a negative, like you don't go down a spiral where you're now like a full on gambling addict and you can't control your emotions or you can't control what you're doing. So first, I guess I'll take back my, my discipline um, and say it as, as a terms, like in terms of like hardworking, I'll say like discipline first, hardworking second, in terms of just getting to the point where you're making five, 10 grand a year and making money from sports betting as a side hustle, side income. I've had people reach out to me who are public facing figures who, um, actually document their plays publicly and are winning sports bettors who are basically like, you know, well, can I bet through you? you're interested in crossing on these games and it's, I'll give them worse prices than what's publicly available and they'll take it. And that's immediately a sign to me that this person <laughs> has lost money elsewhere. Um, because I mean, they wouldn't, there wouldn't be a need to take worse prices from me. So I've seen it happen all the time. I mean, I've, I've only been seriously betting on sports for a half dozen years. And I, I there are so many stories of guys that I know should be able to win and just can't because they don't have the discipline. Okay, so we'll get off that. I know it's kind of a bit negative. Uh, more positive topic here is um, someone asking like a bit of a chat on here, I guess on Twitter last week, basically saying that if you are young and statistically minded, you'd be mad to go the sports betting route over financial markets and what I think of that. So I'll, I'll answer it real quick. And I will say there is no, like the answer is go to whichever one you're more passionate about. I can't be, yes, I can't 100%. really like explain this until you actually do it. Um, like you, you there, there's no right answer. Like you go to do whichever one you want. Like, wh- like if, if you want to be driven, if you're driven by like working harder hours and, 
um, you know, grinding out and want to make like the most possible money. Like if you want to make like a hundred billion dollars, be the next like Bill Gates, you're probably better off going to the financial markets. If you want to make like whatever, it's, it's all going to be dependent on what you like. I would say overall, like the reason I went sports betting route over like financial markets is not because I couldn't have done like one or the other, just because this is where I'm passionate about. Like I, I don't really see myself, um, in any other industry ever again, because of how much I actually love this industry. And it hasn't been like, oh, I've only been here for a year. Like it's been years where every single day, this is what I love doing. So um, just do what you love. Like there's no, you'd be mad to go into fi- into sports betting over financial markets. There's trouble with every single industry. There's gonna be its own challenges. Like people say, oh, once you win at sports betting, it's not liquid anymore. Once you find an edge, you're done. They're gonna cut you off. Yeah, that's once you found an edge that literally anybody in the world can find that we're telling people on this podcast how to find. You're gonna get cut off. Sure, it's so easy, but find other edges. You think it's that easy to find an edge in the stock market that's gonna make you a million bucks? No, it's extremely hard hard. If it was easy to get rich, everyone would get rich. I say this all the time, do what you love and, uh, and you'll be better off for it, whether it be from a happiness perspective or from a monetary perspective as well. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I don't want to shit on this question because it's, it's more so of a, a question about a discussion that's been happening over the course of the past week. But I hate these, these hypothetical questions because so, like the answer is almost entirely reliant on the person who's getting into that industry. Like somebody could come to me right now and say, you know, Rob, you can dedicate a lot of your time and make two times more than what you're making in sports betting in, in the stock market. I don't give a shit about the stock market. Like I couldn't get out of, you couldn't wake me up in the morning and get me, have me get out of bed to go trade stocks on a daily basis. Like I have zero interest in doing that. So yeah, it might be easier for me to win. Fine. Like I don't want to do it. Um, and I think it's just, again, entirely dependent on the person. Um, for me, I've always been motivated in life, um, obviously by, you know, monetary interests, but I also have to be interested in the work itself. Um, I'm not going to get paid a high salary or, or work on something that's going to drive me insane or that I have no interest in, interest in, and it's going to make me depressed. Like that's just not who I am. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are like that as well. So I, I hate these hypothetical questions of like, I think you could probably earn more in the stock market, but for, it's not the right decision for a lot of people. Um, you could probably earn more day trading crypto, you know, just using some general technical analysis, probably going to drive the vast majority of people absolutely insane and they're going to hate life. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think you you summed it up really well, but whatever your, whatever motivates you like go after that yeah also anyone who's actually beat sports betting for real i think knows that it's not easy to make money in the stock market so anyone who's saying this like just think about how efficient sports betting is and how things are changing and then think about like how much more efficient an ultra liquid market like the stock market would be so people who were you know touting stock picks saying like oh buy this airline cuz they just launched this program and they're coming back from covid like that's the same as a tout saying bet the Packers because Aaron Rodgers is nine and two in the snow. If you, if you think about it, like compare it to a different industry, everyone obviously listening to this podcast, typically like a sports better. So compare it. Like it's not easy to make money in the stock market. Yes. It's a growing market and you should appreciate with the market, um, just in its general nature. But, uh, to say like, Oh, if you went in the stock market, you, you would have made a million. And if you're in sports betting, you're only gonna make 10,000. Like uh, that's not accurate. Well, I listen, like a lot of, there's a lot of factors that go into I can't even tell you how many people message me with stock tips or crypto tips. And it's like the crypto tips really get me just in general. They're like, oh, you know, I told you to buy this. It's up 20%. And it's like, okay, in the last year, the entire market is up 30%. You're actually doing worse than the entire crypto market cap in general. It happens with stocks too. Oh, I told you to buy this stock three years ago. Look what it's at now. It's like, well, the entire market is up over that span more than what this stock went up over that span. So you really didn't give me shit in general. Um, I don't know. That's anyways, that was just like a, a kind of a side rant, but that kind of stuff always gets me. Um, do what, do what you like, try to make money. However you like, just try to do it in a way where you're not hurting other people. Like I'm not, at, I'm not promoting scams here or anything and, and saying, uh, you know, do, do <laughs> you know what I'm getting at? Just like, Chase what you want, but make sure that it's ethical. 
Yep. So uh, I guess we'll close it off there. Um, thanks everyone for uh, you know following the Twitter account. Uh, I know uh, Spanky just shouted us last week. He also messaged me. I just want to make sure we clear this up for everyone. Rob said last week that Spanky buys his followers, but <laughs> he actually confirmed he doesn't buy his followers. So I uh, just wanted everyone to make sure that they knew that. And uh, <laughs> we have we have Spanky lined up as a guest for uh, for later this later this month. So submit some questions for that. I'm sure we'll ask, but that should be uh, should be a fun one. Spanky's playing hard to get. He wants to pre approve pre approve the list of questions just to make sure that we we don't go after him too hard in general. He knows my interviewing style and how I I'm not I'm not afraid to ask the tough questions. So I'm going to ask the tough qu- questions that the community wants to uh, hear the answers to. Uh, and I'm going to investigate this uh, buying followers a little bit more now after this. I Hold wanna, up. I, we had a last second question come on that I really want to answer. Just just seeing it right now. Um, this is from someone named Ryan. Uh, really good question. Any advice for getting down one to 2000 per bet on several season-long props at in-person retail books to chance to reduce the chances of getting limited? So this is basically asking on how can you bet over the counter at a legal book for anyone who's not in a legal state. It doesn't apply to you unless you're making a trip to Vegas or something like this, but how to bet at a legal book with, to reduce like getting limited or also, I guess, just getting like rejected and getting less money down. I would say you want to come in and act like you're the biggest square possible would be my advice. So like if you're going in, don't come in with like, jeans and a shirt and a backpack full of cash like, don't wear a backpack that's a huge sign don't, br- like, don't bring 50k in a duffel bag you know <laughs> because you don't need a duffel bag for 50k in general but yeah you don't want to do that kind of stuff don't don't do that kind of stuff like go in with a jersey and a hat like if you're if you want to bet a prop like uh and you have like a, let's say you want to bet an nfl prop and you want to bet like a mahomes prop and you have a mahomes jersey like nothing screams give this guy whatever bet he wants than a guy wearing a patrick mahomes jersey trying to bet on patrick mahomes to win the mvp so um, things like that, like don't just don't, and also don't bet them all at once. Like if you're going to go in and say, I want to bet seven props, they're probably going to be like, okay, let's look into this guy or ask for a player's card or something like that. So if you're going to go in, just like bet one, put the cash down, get the ticket, put that in the pocket and then say, oh, one more as well, actually, if you don't mind. And then get that second one, you know, and come back a couple hours later, talk to somebody else. Like you're not going to want to, um, just like try to hammer them all at once. It's, it's not smart. They're going to, as soon as you're betting over a certain amount of money, um, that's it. Also, try to use the kiosks a lot easier. I um, I don't have a ton of experience in this because 99.9% of the bets I've ever made in my life have been online. Uh, but in my experiences of over-the-counter just in general, I also pretend that I don't know how to place the bet usually. Um, like I don't go up with the rotation number and say, I want this. I kind of have the, the teller walk me through exactly uh, like, you know, I, I try to explain to them what I'm looking for. It's like horrible acting on my part, but, um, yeah, that's just, that's just me personally. You got to go up and say, uh, so, so what's the odds on this? Like, they're like, oh, plus 400. Oh, okay. So what, uh, if I bet 50 if I bet bucks, this, how much do I win? If I exactly. bet 50 bucks, how much do I win? Yeah. And then, then they're like, you went, oh, 50 pays 200. Oh, oh, pays 200. Oh, okay, fine. I'll bet give me a thousand. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, so a thousand pays four. Oh, give me, give me a thousand. It's sad that we're having this conversation, and I will say, um, I, you wouldn't have to do this at Circa in Vegas, which is I, I will, I, I like promoting sports books that do it the right way and give people whatever bet that they want. But for the vast majority of places, unfortunately, you do have to be a bad actor. Like that's just the reality of it. If you actually have an edge, I love the idea of wearing the the jersey of the team that you're going to bet on. That's just like a no brainer. Um, split up the bets. Yeah, like this is just common sense, but um, luckily I don't have to do that because, oh man, that'd just be so tedious. Good, good, good stuff. Uh, Good podcast. We'll wrap with that. Uh, We'll see you guys all next week. Have a good week.